Hello, this is Mark Bryan, otherwise known as Double O, and you're listening to Left Coast Pirate. Horton will try to go all the way. seconds to go down by two. Here's Whitehead guarded by Ochefu. Gets the step into the lane. Goes to the bucket. Layup. Rolls around and in. And a foul! Whitehead ties the game! Pow! From Trenton! Woo! What Trenton makes, the world takes! From just west of the Ward Place Gate in San Diego, California, he is Mike Deziri, class of 2001. I am Tom Kaharski, class of 1997. And we are Left Coast Pirates. Welcome to this week's episode of Left Coast Pirates. It is February 7th. And wow, what a difference one week makes, Mike. The team came off of an 0-2 week. Looking at a pair of road games against what should have been an equally desperate team and a well-rested team that was picked to finish in the upper half of the Big East standings. So no one in their right mind should have thought that the schedule was lining up the way it was planned. But wow, what a week, Mike. Tommy, what do we typically say when evaluating Kevin Willard in comparison to the other coaches in the Big East? We're always like, we love ourselves some Meg Cooley. Well, guess what? I especially love myself some Meg Cooley at the moment because for many different reasons than the usual, this time Ed's team completely underperformed as the Friars were exactly what the Pirates needed to right the ship and get back on course. Or, or was it maybe just the fact that like January is now over and the voodoo hex is gone? Or, or, or maybe... Maybe it's just the fact that this team really does play better as the hunter and not the hunted. Or or, or maybe they play better with their backs up against the wall. I, I don't know. I don't know what the narrative is anymore. But bottom line, as much as it feels like the January swoon is inevitable, I've also started to grow accustomed to the fact that, you know, Kevin Willard teams rally back from adversity to find ways to salvage the season. So here we are again. The volatile roller coaster we call Seton Hall basketball is in full motion. Two must have road wins in the team's back pocket, three favorable games upcoming, and a much rosier outlook than a week ago. See, Mike, you're making me grumpy all of a sudden. I absolutely despise when I hear this hunter hunted thing, it drives me insane. It's a sign of two things, Mike. It's a sign of an immature program and a built-in excuse for the fan base. However, Mike, maybe we got to look at it in this way. You know, in general, we don't really recruit as well as other top teams. So our, our talent level is usually a little bit below what other top teams are looking at. So maybe this is our spot. Maybe we got to make hay out of knocking out those teams when our backs are against the wall. Man, I just wish we wouldn't leave so much money on the table while we're doing it. But don't let me be the one with the gray clouds hanging over the head during the podcast. You always have that trademark. So let's just talk about what we're going to do. I'm this not let, I'm not letting you leave that on me before we dive into the show. No way. Look, there was an article out there that people were kind of talking about that kind of just embodied or talked about the culture of the team. Yeah, th- there's a culture here. This team could have rolled over and basically said, woe is me. I mean, you have to look back and say the three losses were against Creighton and Villanova. Yes. They kind of, you know, missed out on opportunities to kind of take the next step. But if they would have had the Butler game mixed in, if they would have had the Xavier game still on the schedule and they won one or two of those games, will we still be calling it a swoon? Should we really be complaining about the way this team bounced back when you saw Providence lay an egg against us and then back it up by giving up 90-plus to St. John's in basically a game that they had to come out and win? Tom, they took care of business this week. 
They you did. Just, you just loves ifs and buts. Ifs and buts, Mike. Anyway, one thing we won't talk about is ifs and buts. We will talk about what really was. So this week on the podcast, we will review the wins at Providence and at UConn. We're going to also go over the pandemic pandemonium and preview the upcoming game next Sunday against hated Marquette. But first... Seton Hall 60, Providence 43. Things got off to a rocky start for the Hall. Down 15-8 to the Friars with eight minutes in. They finally got some momentum in with an eight-run run to tie the game at 16. But the quality of play didn't improve for either side as the defensive-minded half ended with a Providence 25-22 lead. The second half was all Pirates as the Friars still couldn't find the bottom of the net. Runs of 12-2 and 14-2 in addition to a 10-3 run contributed to a 38-18 half and the Hall got the W. All right, Tommy, box score. Familiar names filling the stat sheet again. Sandro, 20 points, 8-16 from the floor, 7 rebounds, 3 assists. Miles Kale, there's your boy, 19 points, 7-14, 6 rebounds. Providence, man, not not much to talk about here. Nate Watson and Noah Horchler, 10 points and eight rebounds each. Team stats, uh, the shooting in this one was just ugly. Seton Hall, 39%. Providence, 34%. Behind the line, Seton Hall was a putrid 4 of 24 for 16% after starting 0 of 16. Providence was 6 of 18 and finished 2 of 12. The turnovers, Tom, this is where Seton Hall kind of did their what they needed to do. Only six, Providence 16, and therefore Seton Hall turned that into an advantage of 22-2 in points off. Turning point, I, I once again, I, I think these are starting to get easy, right? Providence was on a 6-0 run to cut the lead to 34-33, and the momentum was swinging back to the Friars. But Tyree Samuels receives a pick-and-pop pass from Shavar Reynolds, and makes a three. It was the first in 17 attempts for the game by the Hall. It pushed the lead back to four and ignited a 14-2 to two run. Ball game. You know, Mike, I, I let you have these turning points, but I, I, I don't agree with this one. I think the turning point was how the Pirates came out in the second half. You're going to say that the Friars cut it down to one, but... They, they never led again. Once we took over the lead, that was that. But this was an ugly rock fight, man. I mean, Bill Koch came on and he suggested a game in the low 60s. I don't think he ever expected anything like this. Let's put on those blue tinted glasses and move into this game. Defense, baby. That was the key to this game. And everybody was pointing to that second half saying, oh, the Pirates held the Friars to 18 points. You know what? The first half wasn't shady, Mike. It wasn't shady at all. It was just ugly. So, so, so I know we're in blue tinted glasses. Was it our defense or was it the Friars' futility on offense? I, I like the man-to-man defense. It, they felt like they were extending it further beyond the three-point line. I also like the matchup zone that Kevin Willard kind of implemented. He likes to switch when in his man-to-man, he kept on saying, I, I, I finding ourselves, you know, in mismatches after the switches, we got to stop switching. But by playing this kind of 3-2 matchup zone or a, a hybrid version of a 2-3, it kept on like swinging back and forth. They didn't have to switch. They were kind of switching back into their zone and then picking up the man. And I hate to say this, Providence was playing a lot of high weave basketball handoffs. So it kind of played right into, into that defensive alignment for the hall. And they really got nothing going downhill towards the basket where their big guys could then crash. And on top of that, they play great defense on David Duke. Again, I go back to Bill Koch. He mentioned that they were looking for that third option for, for Providence to be successful. But the problem here was they didn't have a first or second option. Like you mentioned, David Duke held to six points. I'm going to look at Watson though, Mike. He was held to seven points under his season average to only 10 points. This after him going 23-11 and 11 at the Rock against us. 
he was not going to be the difference maker in this game. He can go either way. I, I, I can't disagree. But, I mean, yet six turnovers for Duke. So he's their high-usage player. We were fronting the post. We were making it difficult for Watson to get the ball. Great job by the Pirates. In that moment, Duke has to step up, and, and he just didn't. Two of eight, Tom. Two of eight and six turnovers. If, if that was our go-to guy, our Big East you know, first team all biggies player, you know, our Superman, we'd be crushing him right now. He did not step up when the Friars needed it. And that's an, a, you know, a, a compliment to what Seton Hall did because, you know, I think Kale had the predominant assignment on him, but when I went back and watched some of the highlights, it felt like multiple guys were kind of picking him up and making big plays, either shutting him down or, or ripping him for a steal. It was just an impressive performance. Tom, only 28 points scored over the final 30 minutes. Come on, it's crazy. You mentioned that David Duke didn't step up, but our Superman seniors pulled that shirt back to show that S because Sandro and Miles Kale came to play. They combined to shoot both 50% in that ugly rock fight. They were basically the only offense that was going on in that game. Should I should I let you talk about Miles Kale? He's your guy, or should I should I just go and gushing and compliment him nonstop here? I mean, what it, he it'd be did. nice considering the fact that you're always talking about his efficiencies, Mike. So why don't you talk Miles Kale up a little bit? I just think we all knew that Miles had it in him because we saw it in individual spurts. But we're going to talk about it in this game recap. We're going to talk about it in the the game against UConn. Miles maybe possibly had that switch go off. And if he is actually playing as that, you know, that third option, this confident senior, okay, we we might have something here because he was doing it in every facet of the game. He's cutting back door. He was getting out on the break. He was crashing the offensive glass for a total of three rebounds. Tom, he had two balanced halves. Normally it's like feast or famine. And then we're like, where did miles go? And he put up equal numbers across both stanzas. But the major thing that I kind of alluded to before was the lockdown defense on David Duke. He, he got the majority of that assignment. So not only does he break out, he shuts down the other team's best player. I mean, you're not going to lose too many games when that happens. But as we talk about the good things, Mike, again, this was one hell of an ugly game. So there are some sour grapes and gripes we can talk about. Don't go right into the sour grapes and gripes yet. I mean, we talked about it. The team only turned the ball over six times. The point guard play wasn't spectacular. You know, they only shot two of 12 from the floor combined between Shavar and Aiken. But they were steady, man. Oh, okay. Let's be happy about the six total turnovers. It certainly didn't mean that the offense was looking pretty good. You want to brag about six turnovers when they only scored 60 points? Really? Yeah, I I think this was important. I think the six turnovers is really important here. Here's why. What what do we say helps our offense kind of kickstart? Now, I understand we only scored 60, but normally we're saying, hey, we got to get out in transition. We got to find ways to get easy buckets. Providence is pretty similar to us in, in, you know, that comparison. They need to get easy buckets in transition. We didn't have live ball turnovers. We only had six in general. You know, you got seven assists to the to two turnovers out of your point guard. It was just a solid game, Tom. I mean, what, what happens is you end up getting into this ugly, disgusting rock fight in which everybody else besides Sandro and Kale are shooting 31.6%. Everybody else, 31.6%. And you got your two seniors stepping up, not getting kind of drugged down into the muck, no, not turning the ball over and having your two seniors step up in a muck it up type game. That's why they won by 17. I'm but sorry, just, Mike. I'm sorry. I got to swat the great cloud away from me, man. I can't get excited about only scoring 60 points. I can't I can't talk about offensive efficiency and not turning the ball over when we only put 60 in the hole. So all you, Mike, I can't go there. No, I, I, fine. Well, you want to transition to sour grapes and gripes? I'll, I'll throw it back to you. Yes, the half-court offense still struggled early and often. The second half was better than the first, obviously. You know, Providence came out in his own. Tommy, I'll ask you, are we scouted? Okay, is it that hard to scout it, Mike? We haven't been shooting the ball well, so they were going to pack it in. You know, we are, Mike. I don't know if you've noticed, Mike, we are the third biggest team in the country. So they're going to force us to shoot it from outside, which we haven't been doing very well lately. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not a whole lot to scout there, Mike. I mean, take a look at the first 10 minutes. 
We scored eight points. Six of them were in transition, Mike. Two turnovers, 0 of 8 from three. You would think they would stop shooting that three after a while if it wasn't going in, but nope, nope, next one's going in. I can feel it, Mike. Hey, don't forget, Molson had a nice little play in the middle of the zone there. <laughs> not, not everything was all transition. Molson had two right in the middle, a little turnaround floater. It was a nice play. It was a nice play. Mike, Mike they were lucky to be down only 15 to 8 because for that first half, 0 for 13. I thought I was watching the Italy game again, Mike. Was the sun coming in from the wrong angle? Was the ball a different size, Mike? Come on, man. So so do you have an issue with the fact that in the second half, they still came out and took another 11? You got to remember, Sandro hits the one in like the final minute, which was just an exclamation point and more of a garbage time, you know, dagger three to make the, the score look worse. So there are another three of 10 in the second half. Do you like the fact that that was the philosophical offensive strategy to once again take another 10 threes? You know, in the course of play in the second half? Where are my adjustments, Mike? Where's the chiropractor? Thank goodness the defense was helping us to overcome this because going four for 24 and still winning by double digits, how often does that happen, Mike? Well, it is the lowest point total in a Big East regular season game that the Pirates have, you know, held them, held a team to in the history of their Big East play. So, I mean, if you're, if you're going to do that defensively, I would assume that you're going to win regardless of some other gaudy stats uh, that jump out in a negative way. You know, you know what kind of jumped out to me, though, from, from a visual it was kind of early in the first half, and I know we were kind of, you know, we were kind of struggling to find our way, so maybe kind of got glossed over. But Jahari Long came in before Bryce Aiken did. That completely caught my eye. It was it was reported that Aiken had tweaked his knee in the pre-game warmups and needed a solid 20 minutes to stretch things out before he was ready to get inserted into the game. And also in the post-game, Willard says he didn't like the way that the team practiced or how the practice had ended prior to this game. So I'll, I'll throw it back to you. I said you didn't want to get to the TMZ stuff uh, last podcast, but you know, is there a bigger issue here? I mean, Aiken ironically comes in as soon as Shavar gets his second foul with eight minutes and 30 seconds to play. Tommy, Tommy, where there's smoke, sometimes there's fire. So, so here's where the pandemic kind of starts messing with you, right? Because there's nobody in the crowd and the team is spread out more, usually two or three rows of guys sitting there watching it from the bench. And it doesn't help that we're in Providence's alumni hall with that Walsh-esque center hard camera. I'm trying to look at the end of the bench and be like, is he there? I, for a second, I don't know that he made the trip. All of a sudden, he comes in when Shavar gets two fouls. Thank goodness he got loose by the time Shavar had two fouls. I mean, woo, what could have happened had that not been there? But Well, you, you could have had Jahari kind of missing, you know, defensive assignments in the zone for, for multiple minutes of the game. I'm glad he got some run, but it's obvious that, you know, when you're sitting on the bench for, you know, five to seven straight games and not even seeing any minutes, you're, you're not going to be, you know, in the flow against the other team's starters or, you know, playing crunch time minutes. And at that point, you know, we needed to make a run. And, you know, he was he was kind of looking back and forth as to where he needed to be, you know, on the floor defensively. I, so, yeah, it was important that, that I, Aiken I'm got gonna, in that game. I'm going to say this. I'm going to take you TMZ and kind of push it to the side and say, I don't want to know. I don't care. If he was trying to make a point, his point got stopped the minute he really needed Bryce in there. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't care. It sounds like we're complaining more than we should be. We got the win. We had a solid defensive outing. And this one led us up to Seton Hall, lady. UConn 73. Seton Hall got off to a quick start punctuated by a Miles Kale four-point play for a 14-2 edge. The Pirates continued to stay hot and back-to-back three-pointers by Tyree Samuel pushed the lead to 28-15. The lead stretched to 18 before UConn closed the half out on an 11-2 run over the final four minutes of the first half. UConn continued the comeback with a 7-0 run to start the second half, but the Pirates would keep the Huskies at bay and not relinquish the lead, but it was a tightly contested game down the stretch. 
I, I know you hate UConn. I, I hate UConn. Right? Who, who doesn't hate UConn the way they used to pummel us when they were, you know, a nationally ranked top team winning multiple national titles? But Tommy, I'm not rushing the court after this one. You know, your your excitement level about beating down the Huskies. You know, to tone it just a little bit, please. Mikey, it was our first game back with UConn. It is the first win at Gamble since you were a freshman, Mike. I'm going to say, we beat UConn, baby. Yeah, that, that's like people going, first time Seton Hall's beaten UConn in nine years. They haven't played in nine years. Come on. It just, just Anyway. All right. Individual stats on this one. Sandro, 21.7 rebounds. Tom, 10 of 12 from the free throw line. You're always ragging on him for missing those crucial free throws. Here's your boy, Kale, again, 20 points. And Jared Roden, even though he had some foul trouble, 11 points and six rebounds. UConn got a nice performance off the bench from Jalen Gaffney, 20 points. And then you had Sonogo and RJ Cole chip in 12 each. And Tyrese Martin had 10, but he only had four shot attempts in 34 minutes. And coming into this one, he was their hottest guy. He was their most prolific, you know, offensive weapon, making things happen for them. On the team stats, free throws, 56 total attempts. So the previous game was a rock fight. This one was just ugly from the refs. Seton Hall, 27 of 31 from the line, 87%. And UConn held their own as well, 21 of 25. Seton Hall shoots 50% from the floor, 50% from deep, 9 of 18. And the turnovers were under control, 13 for the Pirates, 10 for UConn. But UConn was able to transition that into a 16 to 8 edge four points off, which kind of let them hang around. Tom, turning point in this one, I think is actually tough, right? There's a lot of clutch plays, you know, a lot of big moments. One could sit there and say you had the technical foul on Danny Hurley, followed by the rodent shot where he's, you know, fumbling for the ball and he has to pick it up and beat the shot clock from deep. But to me, it goes to this moment right here. UConn's on an 18 to two run spanning the first and second half and the lead is now down to two. And Sandro hits a three, and then Roden stole the ball in the front court, leading to a monster kill dunk. We know how you love your monster kill dunks, right? UConn never got it to a one-possession game the rest of the way. And, and I read somebody else on, on social media go, you know what? Miles Kale could have just easily laid that one in and just taken the gimme two. And he was just like, nope. Nope, I'm throwing this down in your face. I'm letting out a primal scream and being like, uh-uh, we, we, we just seized the moment again. You guys are not going to kind of you know run us out of the building. We're putting a stop to this right here. Let's go. We and you can see that. the bench, right? We missed that, Mike. So many times we get those dunks on the other side to really get the other team excited, and we end up just missing that. I am so glad he threw that down with some extra oomph. Mike, you know, I mentioned earlier about, you know, Seton Hall fans pulling that bag of tricks out and all of a sudden saying, oh, we're better hunters than hunted. Here's another thing we like to pull out of our bag of tricks, and I saw it all over Twitter, and I saw it in the group chat that I'm in during the games, complaining about the refs. Mike, we made more free throws than UConn attempted. Additionally, there was a stat in the game that says we're number one in the conference in both makes and attempts of free throws, in addition to being second in free throw percentage. I don't want to hear it anymore about the whistles not going fairly. Was this a fairly ref game? It was a fairly ref game. Was it a poorly ref game? Probably, but I don't want to hear it anymore. I just, yeah. just cut it. Win the game. Stop complaining. Yeah, I, I didn't think the calls turned the game one way or the other. There were some bad calls both ways, and you have to play through that. I mean, you just do. Uh, UConn could have folded after the technical foul to, uh, to Hurley and then Roden hits that shot that put him back down by 10 and in the blink of an eye they're back down within five I mean there's so many moments where you can just crumble and blame the refs and it's up to your team to kind of like I said overcome that from time to time it, it, this is not anything egregious like the the call at the end of the Nova game which at the end of the day after we broke it down we even defended that call Right. I mean, all right, let, let, let's get into recapping the game and let's let's talk positivity because it was a two and a week. And this one was huge because, you know, Sandro and Kale had a big game again, 
but I felt like everybody stepped up in clutch moments to help close this one out. And it was pretty much a senior feel across the board, right? Sandro hits his free throws. He makes another three in the second half where he gets the friendly roll and he has that big dunk. And look, you, you want to talk about not getting calls? I, I, think, he, I think he traveled on that play, right? He splits the two defenders, <laughs> you know, but, and, he, and he puts the ball down in front of him. It looked awkward on TV. I would not have been shocked if that was called a travel, right? So, so Sandro has a big day. You know, t- talk, talk about Kale for a second. Oh, Mike, no, you did such a great job talking about Kale earlier that I think I'll just let you do it. But he came out in the beginning of that game and said, you know what? I'm a senior. I'm going to put this team on my back if I have to. And he was going to handle it. Then again, in the first part of that second half, it's driving me crazy. I'm pulling hair out because they're not going to him. Crunch time comes. UConn's making a run. And Kale comes up big. He had a big three-pointer, and he had an awesome drive, and he finished it with his left hand. Oh, it was big. I thought he was going to settle for yet another three. So, I mean, there's the versatility that we know Kale has. And sometimes he shies away from going into traffic. But, man, that was a sweet move. Little little finger roll there with the offhand. hand. That was clutch. And then – doesn't it look, Mike, doesn't it look like he's finishing better this year than he's ever had? I mean, that was a complaint we had earlier in his career. He was always had, he always had that athleticism, but earlier in his career, he had trouble finishing. Not this year. Uh, you know, uh, mixed bag here. So you know, there are times that he's still coming up short, but then he's getting the offensive rebound and going right back up with it. You know, there, there are times that he's gone up soft in the past. And then that those one or two attempts has kind of, made him shy away from doing it the rest of the game. You know, there was a couple drives that he made in the first half where I think he, he, he tried to go up and under and he kind of got blocked by the rim a little bit because he went in too deep. And I'm like, oh, this is where Miles then decides to shy away. And he didn't. That's what I like. It's it's the confidence to say, all right, I didn't get this one, but I'm going back to get the next one. All right, let, let, let's, you can let's talk about You never just giving him a compliment, can you, Mike? <laughs> or if this was Molson, you'd be telling me how wonderful he was. Go on. When you, stop, when you stop picking on Sandra, I'll stop picking on Kel. Deal? Deal? All right. No, all right. I said seniors, right? And it wasn't just Miles and it wasn't just Sandro in this one. There's a lot of smaller other details that when you start putting them all together, you're like, wow, you're right. Everyone really stepped up. Aiken scores nine points in the second half. And he was six for six from the free throw line. It's kind of become almost automatic. Now, not kind of become. He's he's a hundred percent on the season at the free throw line. And then you also have Shavar who could make him down the stretch too. So you could put two guards on the floor that are pretty much money from the free throw line. And big shot Shavar showed up again. Right? He has the drive where he kind of stop doesn't go all the way to the basket, but he kind of does his little you know standard jump stop fadeaway, and he hits that little seven footer. And that kind of iced it for the hall with under a minute to go. And then we'd be remiss if, yeah, you're going to tell me Ike's not a senior. I, I, I see I see the notes. Ike's not a senior. Ike is like, he's a senior and he felt like he's been there for like how many years already? He had the sit out year. He's a I'm junior. I'm just saying, Mike, uh, you know, you got to be right on this. Don't be changing my notes. Ike is kind of like an upperclassman. But he was changing the game defensively. He was. I mean, he was blocking shots. He was He was altering shots. He was actually the rim protector that we were hoping that he'd be. And, you know, all of that combined, it, it was just a nice team effort. I, I even had a nice little throwdown dunk them down the stretch as well. And he's doing well from the free throw line. Hit another four or six this year. You know, this is the kind of matchup, though, Mike, we have an easier time with. You know, teams like Creighton and Nova play more of a positionless basketball game. They don't quite match up with height. But Providence and UConn, they're built kind of the same way we are. Their bigs are bigs. They want to be back-to-the-basket guys. And, you know, it makes it easy for us to match up with them. Well, it allows guys like Tyrese and Ike Obiagu to log more consistent minutes, you know, allowing the team to truly go eight deep. You know, and, and they can contribute with more impact in those games. They're, you're out there trying to kind of force them into the, into the rotation against a Nova and Creighton but now you got you got Tyree's more comfortable kind of playing out in the wing shooting his three he made two of them in this game and then Ike played 30 minutes man 30 minutes for Mike and he had decent production we talked about you know the points he finished with six he had four rebounds he had a couple blocks he makes four or six from the free throw line but more importantly man he's a rim protector 
he allows, if there is a breakdown in the defense, and there wasn't much over the last two games, he allows you to do what Roe did last year and erase those mistakes. But but to me, the most important thing about all this with Tyrese and Obiagu getting a chance to spend more minutes on the floor is that Sandro stays at his natural four. And then I don't think either one of those teams has a guy like Damian Jefferson or Denzel Mahoney or a Jeremiah Robinson Earl or a Cole Schweider, guys that can kind of take you all the way out to the three-point line that can exploit Sandro. These two teams don't have that. So Sandro's defensive uh, you know, deficiencies – are not as exploited in these matchups. See, see, I, I was critical of Sandro. I said deficiency <laughs> and the word Sandro in the same sentence. How about that? You know, Mike, you were giving me a hard time saying I was getting way too excited for beating UConn. And, and yet, you know what? It's more of that history. It's more of me remembering from the good old days when UConn used to come in with those busloads of fans into the Brendan Byrne arena and just shout us out. But before we get too excited, let us remember that all everything guard James Booknight didn't play. This is going to be a different team with him on the floor when he gets back from his injury. I, I heard that this week is he's going to try to get some uh, time back in, but this is a whole different team, Mike. Why are you looking at me? I said 2-0 this week. You were the one picking the 1-1. One and one. I, I'll go back to the play way the we played in the first half against Providence. I thought I was, I was Nostradamus here, Mike. <laughs> okay. All right. I, 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 I'm passing the torch to you today. You could be the sour grapes of grapes. You could be the negative Nelly. Go ahead. G give me the glass half empty on this one. Well, Mike, you know, we always complain about playing complete halves, you know, play well for 20 minutes, play hard for 20 minutes. And we're still having hard times closing out halves i mean let's take a look at that first half we played a great 16 minutes had an 18 point lead and all of a sudden four bad minutes and it's a single digit lead going into the half mike i mean this gave uconn some hope this gave uconn some momentum and they played a whole lot better in that second half so we're not playing the game obviously but we're obviously emotionally engaged as we're watching how do you feel emotionally after those first 16 minutes? I was shocked. I was surprised that we came out like that in UConn, and I was feeling great. I was like, wow, this is going to be a lot easier. And those last 24 minutes were as stressful times as I can remember. And, but that's why ending halves are so important, because that last four minutes essentially erases all of that pounding your chest, all that ego bravado of, hey, we got these guys. We're, we're going to step on their throats today. Four minutes out of the entire first half, 20% of that half, and all of a sudden you're up by nine. And it just felt like you're dissatisfied. You felt like all of a sudden you played the half even. It, it's a nine-point spread, and I'm like, uh-oh, we could be in some trouble here. And I think that's just a natural human reaction that also trickles over to the players. And that's, that's on Kevin to make sure that they kind of just, you know, block out those last four minutes and come out strong to start the, the beginning of the second half, because starting and ending halves are so crucial. UConn comes right out of the gate in the second half and gets it down to a two point margin. Tom, if, if there were fans in the stands in this one, how do you feel about us holding them at bay? Oh, Gamble would be going crazy with that comeback, Mike. It would have been, it could have been a really different scenario going down the stretch. Okay. So, I mean, we're, we're just talking about how the team co collectively improves. This is going to be a unique season where the true road environment's not in play, but those are things where that, you know, you can take something out of this game and say, all right, we won, but there are some opportunities to improve. Speaking of improvement, I'm, I'm going to be critical of both guys here. Our point guard play still needs massive improvements. The final moments were good. All right. You know, Shavar makes the big play. Aiken scores the nine points and, and hits the six free throws. But before Shavar's shot, the point guards were a combined two of six, six turnovers against only four assists, and they struggled to stop ball penetration at times. Guards are going to carry you deep into March. It's just the way the game is played in the NCAA tournament. They're going to have to have better play from Shavar and Bryce Aiken, bottom line. Everybody seemed to be slipping on that floor from a Seton Hall side. I don't know if I've ever seen so many guys hit the ground dribbling a ball. 
but it wasn't a pretty look from us. Uh, you just need more stability there. You need a little, you need a rocket point, and we didn't have that this game, which is an end surprising that we end up with the win. Well, I mean, they, they showed flashes, right? You know, Bryce hits a three, and you're like, oh, that's the Bryce. And I, then I, Bryce. I don't know if that's a flash, Mike. That's a single point in time. Well, and then, and then he comes back down on the very next possession and gets his pocket pick from behind, and it ends up becoming a five-point swing because UConn passes it back down ahead, and they get a three. So, I mean, th those kind of things you want. You want that kind of stability out of your point guard. You want Shavar to realize that, hey, look, you know what? You can't kind of be flopping around and giving the ref the opportunity to call that block on you. If, you know, if Willard thinks that you need to be on the floor, that's back-to-back -back games that you've been in foul trouble now because you're, you know, you're trying to drive, draw charges all the time. You know, that might not be the prudent way to play defense when you need to be on the floor for major minutes. But you know who looked good when he was on the floor, Tom? And, and this is going to irk me a little bit because I wanted to see him in blue, not Yukon blue, but but pirate blue. Adama Sonogo looked good for oh, a freshman. Oh, he had some serious moves down on the low block, Mike. There were a couple moves that just made our guys look silly, both Ike and Sandro down there. Oh, he stepped out for a little mid-range jumper. Hey, he dropped a few passes. You know, he's still foul prone for being a big guy, you know, as a frosh. That, that's to be expected but he's going to be a thorn in the pirate side for years to come. If he's going to be there for a full four seasons, it's just, you know, I sit there and go, wow, you know, add a guy like Sonogo to the roster. And maybe he doesn't play major minutes on this team. Add a guy like Posh Alexander to the roster. And you're like, Whoa, that that's a nice recruiting class. And we were close to having both of those guys. Oh, there is severe upside written all over that kid. He is going to, develop into something big going forward but you know what didn't develop over these two games mike the announcing work because there is plenty of things to point out and just say oh man that was bad uh you know I, i've gotten to the point where i just I, i'm a grumpy guy when it comes to this now <laughs> i'm just watching a game looking for you to fall on your face so i could i could just call you out so uh, this has become my favorite segment you say kevin willard deep thoughts is your favorite segment this has now become my favorite segment Brandon Gordon, watch out. I'm coming after you. He did the play-by-play -play for the Providence game. And to start it off after two Reynolds free throws, he goes, they have now scored the first eight points of the second half. Tom, Nate Watson just dunked on the possession prior to that. I, like it's one thing when the intern hands you the wrong stat sheet. It's another thing when you can't even keep up with the flow of the game directly in front of you. He watched, he just dunked. 8-0 run, 8-0 run. With 19 minutes to play, Sandro's shooting two free throws, and he rattles off his stats from the last game. 20 points, six rebounds, and six assists. He's gushing over Sandro's stat line. Then, after the under 12-minute timeout, they flash a graphic that shows Sandro's five career games versus Providence. Two points on four or 14 shooting. And then Gordon goes, he has 12 tonight, but it always hasn't been easy against Providence. I'm scratching my head going, what? And then Donnie Marshall responds and goes, you're telling me he only averages two points a game more than you versus them? Gordon, yes, that's right. Marshall, wow. Yeah, yeah, wow. I can't believe the two of you are just that dumb. You just, you just said he scored 20 points in the previous game. And then all of a sudden, you're you're not like questioning the graphic that he's averaging two for his career. I'm just happy that I can go back to saying bad things about Donnie Marshall again. You know, when he was in the studio, he's bringing up good points, and and even when I'm giving him credit for those good points, I keep saying I don't like him during the games. And thank you, Donnie. I appreciated it. It got me ready for the UConn game. But are, are you not allowed as the announcer to sit there and go, oh, I think that graphic was wrong? Of you have course to, like, you are, but you have to have some pride in your profession. Oh, man. I, look, speaking of pride and profession, we love Brian Custer. I'm not. No, Mikey. Don't I got to do it. There, I, Mike. I, I, I have no choice. He called James Booknight, James Bookout. Come I, on, Tom. I am not going to be making fun this, this, of the 27 and 1 Brian Custer. I know how difficult it is to get names right sometimes. I'm not going there, Mike. So, you, got, you know, look, he look, doesn't have the edit button that I do. 
there's a difference with not getting Mamu Kelish really correct because we see many guys butcher that. But James Booknight is clearly their best player. You got to know it's book night, not book out. That's not a that's not a mush mouth in that time. Come on. Finally, you know, it's almost like we've got a hammer on the graphics department again. You pointed out one that was wrong in the first game against Providence, and there was another one that was wrong in the UConn game. We had Bryce Aiken at the foul line, and the graphic comes up and says he's 90% on the free throw line this year. And they talked about it during the game. He's perfect for the season so far. So uh, I'm trying to find ways, you know, maybe why these guys make the mistakes. So I was like, well, maybe that's his career free throw percentage. So I looked it up and he's like 86. So just what what are they doing? Uh, Look, I'll defend Custer here. Maybe he was trying to say that book night was out and somehow it became a mush mouth of book out. I, you want me, you want to help Brian there? I'll, I'll try to save him from that perspective. I can't believe you are telling the mayor of Newark that he's not prepared for his job. I just can't believe it. Is that what you're saying, Mike? He's never coming back on the show because of you again. He's got to have the streak back up to 26 before he comes back <laughs> on again. I don't know. I don't know. One in a row doesn't do it. You know, Mike, we've had a hard time in the past few weeks pointing out the whole, whoa, did you see that moment? The, the games didn't have those standout moments. And I'll tell you what, there were several times in that UConn game that I just screamed out loud. Yeah, you and I, we're going to have some issues because we're having some creative differences with the producers of this show right now. Uh, you, you, you want me to, I'm, I'm reading the notes and you want me to go on air and say the, 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 whoa, did you see that moment is the Miles Kale dunk off of the Roden feed. Come on. Re- really? Like, well, did it was a rapper. you not see the way the bench exploded after that play? You are minimizing the effect of that play. It was a thing of beauty, Mike. Jared Roden does a little pump fake, drives from the wing toward the basket. He draws a second defender in. Miles Kale on the backside cuts along the baseline. Jared Roden leaves his feet, gives a nice little wraparound pass to Kale, and he leans into one. Uh, that was a whoa, did you see that moment? Uh, or Ike blocks two shots on two consecutive plays. Mike, do you two watch the plays? games or do you just read the box scores? You, you know what During I was the watching? Providence game, guy drives into the lane, Ike blocks it and throw and kind of falls back off balance at coming out of bounds. Providence player grabs the rebound, goes up for another shot. Ike composes himself, goes up, blocks a second shot. If that doesn't impress you, oh, I'm sorry. Should he have walled up, Mike? Is that what he should have done, Mike? I'm walling up. Look at me. Can't jump, so I'm walling up. Am I watching the games? Yeah, I watched the game. You know what makes me get out of my seat and say, whoa, did you see that? You know what made Kevin Willard get out of his seat and even mentioned it in the post game with, whoa, did you see that? Andre Jackson for UConn getting a one-handed tomahawk throwdown, skying in for an offensive rebound. I know you don't want to give it to the opposing player, but sometimes when a play is that over the top, you have to tip your cap and go, the award goes to the opposing team this week. Since you don't have control of your household, Mike, and you already have accepted the fact that your son is now a Villanova Wildcats fan, I am sending your beautiful little girl a Yukon Huskies t-shirt so she can start being a Yukon fan because obviously you are more impressed in a losing effort, Andre Jackson getting a putback, than us scoring the turning point of the game gotcha Uh, mike you want to talk about having your house in order when we lose kevin willard is a mess in the post game but when we win man he's a pleasure on the mic he's like jekyll and hyde you know he he has his act together when they win whether he's talking to lavin you know back in the studio and, and quoting poems or if he was talking to gary about you know addressing the issues relative to UConn being back. Wow, nice comments about the coach from you, Mike. I'm shocked. This is going to be an interesting segment of our show, and it's known as. And now deep thoughts with Kevin Willard. 
I, I know we're trying with these transitions. I we just stink. I, I give up. I, I give up. I'll, apologies to all the listeners with our cheesiness in these transitions. We're, we're gonna get better. It just might take a couple years. All right. So Cohen asks him about the Yukon experience. He's kind of goading Kevin into addressing the subject matter about you know the the rivalry and the hatred and. And Kevin gives this response. I, I'm not saying anything. I'm sorry. Adam Zagoria will take it out of context. And Danny's still mad at me. And I'm like, Danny, I said you were one of the best coaches in the league. I said, I don't say that about I – the only person I say that about is Jay Wright. Um, no, I, I, you know, again, I'll, I'll clarify my comments for Adam Zagoria and everybody out there. Um, it, having UConn back in the, in the Big East is phenomenal. I, I, I was one of the – me and Jay Wright were one of the only two guys that really – when they brought it up to us three years ago, I was like, it's a no-brainer. Um, and the fact that, Dan, you know, I, again, I'm just being honest. Danny's a really, really good coach, and this is a great program. I would have loved to hear him answer this question if they had lost. How about that, Tom? How about that? I mean, it's, it's, it's just easy when, you, when you're in a good mood. It's, it's easy when your program clearly just kind of proved that they can hang with UConn or we're still the better team. Uh, he, he, knows, he knows what he's up against. Danny is a pit bull, right? He, he's he's going to be fighting and scrapping in every game. His, his team is going to embody, you know, his personality. There's never going to be an easy game against UConn going forward, in my opinion. And when they start playing in a sold-out building, you know, up at their place, that is going to be a house of horrors or a very difficult place to come out with a W in the future. And look, Ke- Kevin, Kevin talks about what we all know. UConn's going to recruit. They're going to play on the history of what Calhoun accomplished. They're going to lean on those four national championships. They're going to look at all the guys that have made it to the NBA and point to that. And they already started creating that pipeline of landing top 100 guys under Hurley. Yeah, they needed it for the TV contract money. Fox clearly wanted UConn as another draw in terms of the, the marketability of the Big East. But why would you want to have another team that's you feel like you're going to be having to possibly you know, try to keep up with or chase from behind it, it, especially when it's going to be state money versus private money. Cause if once they start losing, Kevin's going to go, Oh, well, they're not really a like-minded program. Right. Is, is that, is that what we're going to hear? Well, you know, the question doesn't get asked if Seton Hall loses this game, <laughs> let's be honest. Cause you know, you're not going to be pouring fuel on that fire. Kevin's already going to come in grumpy and he actually doesn't even respond. Let me clarify what I said. You didn't clarify really what you said. You, you're kind of giving it half truth. You're dumping on Adam Zagoria. Not that Adam Zagoria has ever reported something that was wrong, Mike. Let's just put it that way. But, you know, yeah, I mean, it was a cute little back and forth. It's on the post game. Yeah, okay. I mean, you had an opportunity to say, give it a real answer. But all right, it's fine. But I don't have a real answer on is all the pandemic pandemonium still. I mean, we're, we didn't have a lot of pauses this week. So that's a positive, right? A lot, a lot of positive undertones in this episode. Uh, so maybe we should just start moving forward and start predicting what's going to happen with some of these makeup games. Because I think it's becoming pretty much obvious that unless other teams have the pause and we backfill in behind them, we're not going to be playing that Xavier game. It's it's probably going to be permanently canceled. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this out. All you have to do is pull up Xavier's schedule from here on out through March 6th, and we do not have an open date that aligns with them from the Georgetown game to our rematch with UConn. So you can tell me that you want that game all you want because it's good for our resume. It doesn't fit anywhere. So why are we not talking about the fact that it's going to be canceled unless other pauses open up the opportunity for that game to slide in? Didn't the Big East already come out and say there's a good likelihood that not every team is going to reach that 20-game mark this year, and they're going to be looking at the final standings in a uh, percentage of wins uh, deal? So I'm not interested in trying to predict where these games will fit. I don't want to see anyone's team have to play four games in seven days just to get to this magic 20 number. It doesn't make sense. You know, it is what it is at this point. 
Is anyone even in line to catch Nova at this point? Taking a look at what Nova's done this year, probably not. You're not catching up to them, even if they have a bad game or two coming up. It is what it is. No one is going to be shifting their positions in the conference standings all that much. Let's be smart about this whole thing. Well, you said you didn't want to go back out to the Midwest if you didn't need to. No, not at all. But the schedule, common sense once again, tells me that if you look at the dates, Seton Hall has a February 24th Wednesday availability, and so does Butler. And that's the only time that their schedules align. You know, Kevin has continued to make reference to, you know, one game getting permanently canceled. And I I expect or I look forward to the Butler game. He knows what's going on. This is being talked about. It's it's not once again, it's not rocket science. It just fits. Butler doesn't play. We don't play. Boom. Right there in the middle. And then we we book on we bookend with the weekends. I think you're going to see the Butler game Wednesday, February 24th back out at Hinkle, whether you like it or not. Well, don't get me wrong, Mike. I want to see the guys play as much as we can. You know, this college basketball is such a short season to begin with. I'll take every game I can. Just make sure it makes sense. Don't go out and expose yourself to any more risks than you need to and and let things happen. If we end up playing that game against Butler, fine. If Xavier somehow gets back to the East Coast. I'm sure Walsh will be open. I'm sure we'll I sure we could fit our schedule in there somehow. So I'm just I'll take it as a week to week basis here. I'm just saying you keep on hearing people say that twelve is the magic number. You get to twelve conference wins, which we could debate on another episode. You're guaranteed to be in the NCAA tournament. Well, I mean, give me Butler then. Give me Butler. There's another opportunity to get to twelve. No? You know, Mike, before we start worrying about the 12th win, let's start worrying about the ninth one. Because after this long week comes to an end, next Sunday, we get to play the Golden Eagles of Marquette. Currently, they sit at 9-10 and 10 with a 5-8 and eight Big East record. Oh, that's got to stick in Wojo's craw right now. They've lost four of their last five games, including a setback to who? lowly DePaul, who once again is in last place of the Big East. All right, Tom, you know, it, it, it's an interesting stretch for them. And, you know, why you see some of the inconsistency on the back half of the schedule for, for the Golden Eagles is pr- predominantly because they're a young team. We, we forget, you know, they have a freshman front court. I, I, I know you have the most hated player in the Big East in your eyes and Theo John as, you know, as a senior there. But they have Dawson Garcia, who's their leading scorer, at 12.6 points per game, averaging just under seven rebounds. You know, but he scored in double figures in 11 of their 19 games. So there is that that up-and-down, uneven performance that you're going to get from a freshman. And then you have Justin Lewis, who, you know, has had some big moments this year. You know, the, the game winner against Wisconsin earlier in the year, where he hits, you know, the, the, the tip-in with seconds to play, scores 18 in that game, but he's averaging eight and a half. Another six rebounds as well. And in the last couple games, he's been playing really well, right? He scored double figures in three out of the last four. And you figure he's going to be a difference maker heading into the Creighton game. You want to take a guess how many points he scored? I have not seen the box score, Mike, so you're going to have to tell me. A goose egg. A, a, a big fat zero. So, you know, you're sitting there going, hey, you got to take Creighton underneath the basket and punish them because that's your advantage. And, you know, one of the guys that you're leaning on as a freshman you know, comes up with a zero on the day. That, that That's tough. You know, you can't be putting up goose eggs and trying to knock off a top 25 team, you know, but, you know, good for them. They hung around, they battled back and it's because of their guard play, right? They got DJ Carton. He's averaging 15.4 points per game over their last seven. You know, in addition to DJ Carton, you also still have, you know, senior leadership in Colby McNewen and Jamal Kane. So, you know, if their backcourt has a good game, that can carry them or keep them competitive. But, you know, if they're not going to get production from their front court, they're pretty much going to struggle. And, and, and you've seen that at times. I mean, this team has fallen behind and they have a lot of grit in coming back in our first matchup against Seton Hall. You know, the Pirates held an advantage of 11 points with nine minutes to play and the Golden Eagles rally back to tie it before Sandro makes that pass over to Shavar for the game winner. Marquette has been resilient. Let's just talk about some of these games they recently lost. 
They're down by 11 with six minutes to play against Creighton, and they get a game-tying three attempt as the clock expires. They rally back down from 15 and a half to tie it versus St. John's. They rally back down by seven versus Providence to force OT, and they rally back down 13 versus DePaul, actually took the lead before losing it down the stretch. I mean, this is a team that if you don't step on their throat, they're going to make your life living hell. They're not going to give up. And, you know, with a young team, if you can bury them early and, and keep your foot on the gas, I, I think you can get an easy win. But, you know, what what do you think are going to be some of the keys you're talking about? I, I, I don't know. Hold on. Just going back to that thought, I don't know that anything's going to be easy, Mike. I think it, it goes back to where is their talent. Their talent is primarily in their youth. I mean, they've got – they had a really good recruiting class coming in. You said their leading scorer is Garcia – and you're going to get this out of young guys. They are uber talented, but they're also still freshmen. So there's that possibility of them kind of falling back. And and it shows with their kind of up and down play, even through the games they've lost. It's It's been a situation where they look great for stretches, and then they kind of fall away at stretches. And we saw that in the first game against Marquette. Yeah, but go back to last year. Over the course of two and a half games now, we basically kind of run them out of the building, right? We we controlled that game in Newark last year. It was kind of ugly on our part that we didn't put them away sooner. We went to their place on Marcus Howard's senior day, and we ran them out of the building. You know, and they dominated them for the for the majority of the the first half of that game and parts of the second half, you know, of the, of the game this year. I and mean, we they were needed be- a last second shot to put it away, Mike. So I don't want to hear that we ran anyone out of a building. When it takes a shot in the final seconds to put the game away. And you know what? This isn't last year's uh, Marquette team anymore. I mean, it, this, this team has turned over in what they do and what they want to, what they don't want to do. So what you asked me for some keys. Well, we got to use that advantage of size, grab rebounds and pack it in on D Mike. I think we got to start saying, Hey, We've done well in the past two games in playing defense and grabbing boards. We got to continue that out in this next game. Well, I mean, it's it's obvious that they're jacking up threes. We're yelling at our guys. That's not your strength. Stop jacking up threes. You know, over their past few games, they've been jacking up 21 attempts. This is not just on a few games. You go back nine games and they're shooting 21 attempts from three at a clip of 29%. So, yeah, I'm not, I don't want to give them wide open looks, but uh, what we did against UConn and Providence, you know, don't give them easy dribble penetration. Don't let the bigs go off. Yeah, I'm going to let these guys try to shoot from deep. And, and then I want to pressure the ball, right? I mean, in their last six games, they're averaging 15 turnovers. They're giving the ball away. We're at our best when we're getting out in transition. We're getting easy buckets. This could line up nicely. And then last but not least, you said it, right? You want you want to hit the glass. You want to pound them underneath. I think they're going to try to do the same to us. But, I mean, they're letting their opponents get to the line 19 times a game. That's a lot. I mean, and you said it earlier, we're leading the Big East in trips to the free throw line, right? So it, it, it kind of should play to our strength. You hit those three points, and I think we're good. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. I do it. I'm mushing us. I know it. This should be a pirate win, Tom. Uh, it has to be a pirate win. Again, here's another. I'm going to repeat myself, but... This is another team that we seem to match up well against. They, they've got legitimate guys that like to play down low, and we should be able to take advantage of them. It's not like they're going to be swinging a six-foot-seven center out there forcing Ike to chase someone off the three. It's not going to happen. I, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but they have to take advantage. The two wins that they got this week – to, to bounce back from the disappointment at the end of January will be completely nullified if they don't go out in the next three games, not just this game, the next three games and take care of business against Marquette, against Georgetown, and against DePaul. You have to put those three games in your pocket. I, I, one at a time, stay focused, don't get overconfident, but you got to get to where you need to be in the standings. I mean, they're, they're eight and five right now. It's they get to 11 and five. Okay. Now you got a couple games down the stretch where you get one or two and you're good to go, but you can't give up these. You can't give up any of these three. 
Well, well, here's the problem. You know, people were wondering why we were so apocalyptic after these last couple games, these last these last games where we gave up leads against Nova and we gave up leads against Creighton. It is forcing us to basically play a perfect back end of the season. We basically have no room for error in the back end. And if there's anything that we've learned about the Big East in all these years we've watched it, is that those perfect back ends don't happen. We've seen already Georgetown come out of a pause and beat Creighton. What, you mean like St. John's beating Nova and just completely dominating them? Yeah, I, I, I see it. They, they say all the time that you're probably going to win a couple games that you're not expected to, and you're going to lose a couple games that you weren't expected to. Well, we haven't won the games that we weren't expected to. So like you said, that makes your margin for error essentially razor thin, if not zero. They have to now beat all the teams on their schedule that you were like, all right, that, that should be a win. Now they have to be a win because they can't afford the bad loss, and they're not going to have opportunities to make it up to get to the, that magic number in what is a weird season. You don't know how the committee is going to evaluate stuff. So, yeah, I think they got to be at a 12 and seven or better in terms of their conference rec- resume. Remember, there are 46 net after all this. 46 net still puts you right at this like 11 or 12 seed. They're not like, you know, easily in the tournament right now. And none of the next three games are going to make you vault up that list. You're just hoping that other teams kind of shoot themselves in the foot over this time period as well. And you kind of just, you know, war of attrition, you move up naturally, but it starts with this one. So I'm going to predict a pirate victory. It's going to be a long week waiting for that Sunday game. I agree with you. I think we go one and oh this coming week. So I'll get ready. I'll have the popcorn in hand and I'm going to be saying go pirates. Go big blue. Thanks for joining us for another episode of left coast pirates. Be sure to follow us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other of your favorite listening platforms. Also be sure to follow us on Twitter with our handle at Elcos Pirates. We are also proud members of the What You Expect Network of Podcasts. And don't miss out on any of our previous episodes that include interviews with Seton Hall legends, Danny Calandrillo, Mark Bryant, Andrew Gaze, Shaheen Holloway, and many others. For Tom Kaharski, I'm Mike Deziri, and you've been listening to Left Coast Pirates.